I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. I would be very surprised if you asked any company in the United States right now what their biggest issue is, that if not most of them, if not all of them, said labor. Right now, we are in an unprecedented time of trying to get people back to work. I was just driving down my street in my town and saw a sign that said on the billboard for McDonald's, $15 an hour, and we give you free food. Almost every shop, every organization is needing people. Two healthcare systems we work with right now report that one of them has 1,300 open positions and the other over 3,000. And so what it made me realize recently as I was talking to one of our clients is that people are going to have to hire people who may not really be ready for the position, but we need to get them in their seats now which means that there is a huge opportunity to train people about how to become leaders. And so this particular podcast is for those of you out there who are coaches and want to be able to sharpen your skills, but it's also for the manager and the leader who will need to be onboarding people into these new roles. And certainly you will need to train them on how to do their skills, but what sort of skills do you need to train them to become a leader? And that's where I think coaching can be extremely useful. So in this podcast, I'm going to go over a couple of things. One is a five-part model about what makes coaching work. What is that step-by-step process? And then two, I'm also going to share some lessons learned after being involved in this wonderful industry for about, oh, geez, 28 years. So a little bit of background. I started coaching back in 1991, and it was a very interesting, circuitous path to get to where I am now. I had actually been trained as an actor, and after having a stint in theater, I began to realize that I liked facilitating and teaching a lot more than I did being on stage. And so through a lot of different happenstance situations, I went through a year-long coaching certification program that was quite rigorous. We actually were on coaching calls, I think it was uh, one day uh, every day of the week for three weeks out of every month. And then there was also four four four-day intensive workshops. And at the end of this rather grueling experience, you had to get certified in front of your peers And and that meant coaching somebody in front of a group of 50 people. And then the rest of the group had to rate you much like you would in the Olympics, like 9.5 from the Russian judge, 4.4 from the Japanese judge. It was literally like that. It was very, very, uh, let, let me just say hair raising to be so exposed. And what it taught me was that my worst, worst coaching tendencies came out when I was being observed. So nonetheless, I got certified and started the business and we've been coaching uh, ever since. And it's been one of our backbone uh, skills for a long, long time. Uh, One of the things that we do in our company, Mission Facilitators International, and I really focus my particular part of the business on coaching executives, CEOs, and boards of directors. 
So that's a little bit of background about me. The particular process I'm going to walk you all through, and again, this is for the coach out there who has their own practice and wants to bone up on their skills, but this is also for the leader or the manager or the supervisor within a company who wants to start thinking about how am I going to onboard new people and how am I going to train them into being leaders and can coaching be a way in which to do that? So here's the, the process that I'd like you to go through with me on this podcast. Uh, I will say that uh, there are many, many, many different types of coaching programs out there. Uh, when I got started back in 91, 92, people didn't even know what coaching was. They actually associated it with professional sports. In fact, I was actually on a, an interview with a gal on a radio show, and she did not want to know anything about my background. She just wanted to go by the seat of her pants. And she said, so, Dean, now that we're live... Can you please tell us what professional sports team you coach? And I had to very delicately and gently sort of uh, redirect her because, of course, I wasn't involved in coaching in an athletic perspective, but it was more for business. And I was trying to redirect her on that. So coaching has really become uh, a, a mainstay in our leadership development process. And it is being taught at Harvard and Stanford and every major university out there will be able to certify you in coaching. Now, um, for those of you who don't know, there are many different types of organizations that support the coaching industry. The one that I believe that has somewhat risen to the top is the International Coach Federation, or ICF. And they have a lot of wonderful training programs that can help you understand the ins and outs of coaching, as well as how to turn it into a business. And interestingly enough, they have three different types of certifications, which is Maybe a bit odd because if you want to become a, an accountant, there's only one certification to be an accountant or you pass the bar and you become a lawyer. Uh, with coaching, there's three steps to becoming what's called a, the, the, the ultimate is a master certified coach. Um, nonetheless, I think the training is, is good and effective. It's certainly not the only one. And the program that we teach which is called Coaching Skills for Leaders, is really based on the ethics and the competencies that have been developed by the International Coach Federation. So on to the actual model that I want to walk you through. Uh, my very, very first coach was a gal named Susan Klein. And Susan uh, was, and I still would consider her, one of the grandmothers of our industry, and uh, she was involved, for those of you who are kind of coaching history buffs, uh, with Thomas Leonard back in the day when he was opening up what was called Coach University. Uh, she also helped start the International Coach Federation. She was one of the very first master certified coaches. Uh, she's still, I believe, as, as last I heard, she's still working with ICF on, on ethics and the competencies that they teach. Well, I couldn't have been luckier to have Susan Klein as my coach. And one of the things that I learned, here's a little nugget to keep in the back of your head, is that if you want to be a good coach, get coaching yourself. It's a lot easier to sell a car when you know how to drive one. It's a lot easier to be an effective coach if you know what it's like to be coached. So if you are going to start a practice or start providing coaching to your people as you onboard them into your company, first and foremost, be on the receiving end of a good coach. You will learn a lot about yourself. 
your tendencies, your strengths, your weaknesses. And there's nothing like being able to, you know, understand what the coachee is going to experience because you have as well. So that's just one little nugget to provide. So our particular program, um, the Coaching Skills for Leaders, was co-developed by myself and Susan Klein. We reconnected after several years. And uh, we ended up developing this program after a lot of research and redesigning some things that we had done in the past. And uh, one of the clients that we had done a lot of work with was ExxonMobil. We had uh, dozens and dozens of people go through this program. And a lot of them also got individual coaching from myself or Susan over, geez, it probably be a four-year period of time. So it's really been tested by some of the most uh, smart individuals on the planet. And I will say that with great reverence to the people over at Exxon, the, the, the kind of people that seem to be the composite of an Exxon leader is one in which they all could say that they were Val Victorians for their high school or their college. Uh, these are these are stupid smart people, you know, and uh, they are highly ambitious, uh, highly driven, and uh, highly technical and smart. So we need to be able to develop something that would appeal to um, the kind of crowd that may not necessarily immediately take to coaching. You get people in human resources, you get people in training development. Coaching is just a natural extension of who they are. But go to an engineer, go to somebody who is in fuel and gas, go to um, a, a coder for a software company. Um, this is not always something that people are tremendously um, skilled at or familiar with. So by the fact that we did so well with ExxonMobil, I think is somewhat of an indication of the, of the merit of the program. So let me kind of go through the different steps of this particular model. First and foremost, people always ask, what is coaching and how is it different than say therapy? or mentoring or managing. So it's very important to establish those swim lanes because we wanna make sure from an ethics perspective, we don't start crossing the line. And so we also need to tell people that there is some overlap between all four of those. So therapy obviously is focusing on the past or diagnosing some dysfunctions maybe in the behavior of the individual, um, and that there is a, a lot of work to be able to release historic issues and concerns and trauma. Um, and if you find yourself, this is for people who, again, are individual practitioners out there, or also those who are working in companies, you're going to run into people who are not coachable. And the thing that I would first and foremost say is, what do you look for in order to determine whether a person is a good coach, a coachee, I should say? One, they have to have a certain amount of self-awareness. Two, and that means, by the way, the, the ability to take situations and learn from them, not just rail against them. Like, what does that situation with my boss that upset me, what was that all about? Um, how do I learn from my mistakes and how do I learn from my successes? A person who's inquisitive about their own learning. Uh, number two, there's also this person is around um, being able to receive feedback, that they consider it. They don't necessarily have to uh, believe that all of it's true, but the, the second characteristics of a good coachee is somebody who can receive and consider feedback. And then the other one I really think is being able to be in action. Can that person translate this awareness and this, um, this ability to take in feedback into action? Will they do something with it? You know, it's sort of like that old Woody Allen <laughs> movie, maybe it was Annie Hall, where he talks about being in therapy for like 
15 years like at some point you go like is this uh, a dependency in the movie where he's never moving on you know uh and in all you know fun and games i guess coaching is not about that it's not about a dependency it's about being able to empower people to uh, take action through some new awareness so three things again nugget number two would be around coaching what is a good coachee a person who has self-awareness number one a person who can uh, receive feedback and accept some of it at least and number three be in action so going back to you know what is the difference between therapy coaching mentoring and managing that's the therapy side this is a person who is unpacking some history to be able to re to remove those barriers uh, when it comes to mentoring this is a person who as a mentor i have a skill that I want to give to you. I'm a teacher, another way of saying this. So I am the source of the knowledge. You are the person that I'm going to give the knowledge to. So we also often talk about mentoring programs within companies. These are great. These are like seasoned leaders who are taking on the, the younger one and helping them navigate through the politics of the organization or help them adapt a new skill. Maybe it's public speaking. And those are extremely useful. But I want to make it clear that this is not coaching. This is mentoring. And we often find that people have a, you know, not any fault to them, a sloppy definition about what coaching is. We interchange coaching with mentoring. Mentoring is I have the knowledge and I'm going to give it to you. And then this managing one, which is we find most people in when it comes to work, is we are about managing your work, schedules, accountability, um, you know, resources. You know, I am sort of like the conductor making sure that you have what you need and, and letting you know um, how you're doing along the way. So that's the manager role. And that's where most people in businesses spend a fair amount of their time doing. So with coaching is about the fact that I don't have the answer. I am really more of a Sherpa helping you find your answer. And if you could take into consideration what that really means, that means that I have to be aware enough of myself not to bring my issues, my desires, my need for control, what I think is right into the conversation. I really need it to be about you. And I really just need to let you find your way. You would say, well, what do we do to make that happen? Well, that's what we're going to get to in a second here. So it's really important that you have that perspective that it's not about me that has the information. Coaching is about you uncovering your own answers. When I do coaching with people and I start them off in a conversation and I do an intake conversation, I describe it like this. I say that, you know, in coaching, my job hopefully is to ask you enough questions such that you change your perception about yourself or a situation or others in such that we do not change behavior unless we change perception. Because if it were so simple just to have enough tips and tools out there, well, then why don't we have our desired weight, the kind of money we would like, the families and so on and so forth, why are we not achieving everything we want if it was just getting the right information about how to get it? The barrier, I believe, and I think this is where coaching is really valuable, is around shifting perceptions, that people don't change a behavior if they don't change their mindset, they don't change their perception. So the way we would say this is that behavior follows perception. So coaching, again, is about 
you, the coachee. This is not about, when you think about it in terms of a business, it's not about your performance. It's about your development. Your performance is my management role. I can be a manager and I can be a coach, but we have to be very clear about what, when is which. So as a coach, I am not here to judge you. I'm not here to uh, try to necessarily increase your performance because it's going to make me look good. I'm here to develop you as a human being, as a leader, which, by the way, will increase your performance. But if we put that expectation that this is all about performance when we do coaching, it starts to skew that person's uh, engagement because now they're having to perform back for the manager versus doing it because they want to grow and expose themselves in some way. So on to the model. It's five stages. And the first stage in our coaching skills for leaders model is really and first and foremost talks about listening. You have to be <laughs> uh, pretty darn aware of what's going on in a situation to be able to be a good coach. And so as you think about you being a good leader in a company or you being a good coach for your clients, re-engage yourself into that ancient and uh, often uh, forgotten art of being in the present, of being a good listener. And there's obviously different kinds of listening, but if you think about how much time are you thinking about what to say when that person stops talking, planning your answer before you have a chance to say it. When you are a coach, you're letting yourself be in the moment, not about the past, not about the future, not about control, but about actually listening to not just what people are saying, but what they're not saying. Really being able to perceive with your intuition, that inner voice, that gut feel that asks, what's going on here? What do I sense about that person? And having the courage to be able to follow that. We find that people who are heavily uh, attuned to being in control have a hard time with listening because listening in and of itself is an act of losing control. So first and foremost, steep yourself through listening. And one way you can become a better listening is by changing your breathing. The slower you breathe, the better you listen. And the way you can uh, increase your brain waves and you can increase your attention is by slowing down your own breath. And when you slow down your breath, the other person, maybe not even consciously, starts slowing down their breath. And you help them get in the present moment. So when you get two people who are having a conversation that are both listening deeply, really wonderful things can happen. That's where such creativity and insight can come. But you can't find insight if you're thinking about the past or regurgitating and thinking about the future. So listening is number one. Number two, ask and don't tell. Ask and don't tell basically is a concept that means this is not about you telling people what to do. This is about you asking questions, that the question is the path. The question is the, the way through issues. I once talked to a guy over at an organization down in Phoenix. He was an investigator. And I don't mean like 
um, an investigator for the law. I mean, an investigator for uh, a, a, a scientific bioscience organization. And so he's obviously writing papers and he's doing a lot of work in the lab. And he said, Dean, it's all about the question. So if you can find a good question, it helps people think differently, more strategically, more intuitively, more profoundly. So ask, don't tell is step number two in our model around good coaching. So you don't want to ask, by the way, by oh, that leads the wit witness. Like, for example, don't you think it'll be a good idea for you to talk to your manager about that? Certainly that's a question, but it's a question that's leading the person towards a certain direction. It's really more of a statement hidden in a question. So make sure that these are open-ended questions like, you know, start off with how or why, but not um, the way you would ask a question that would lead them to a certain answer because that's what you think. So what you find is that your development as a leader and a coach directly impacts the ability that you can help other people achieve. Meaning the better you are as a leader, the better they will be as a leader. Um, I have learned an amazing amount through my clients. My personal development journey has been primarily through my family, my wife, my experience, but through my clients. They have taught me so much about myself. I cannot tell you how many times <laughs> I have been in a coaching conversation with somebody and I'm saying to myself, Dean, are you listening to what you're saying? Because it applies to you too. So this is a mirror, this thing called coaching. You're going to find yourself showing up all over the place. That's uh, number two, ask and don't tell. Uh, number three is called reframe. This is a very basic concept, but it's very profound. Reframing is a way for us to be able to help somebody see something from a different perspective, reframing the circumstance, because it's often that paradigm, that mindset that they're hooked on that's keeping them from being able to move forward. All sorts of innovative idea practices and creativity practices and being able to get unstuck often come back to this idea about, I now have a different perspective. I've reframed my ability to see something. So that's extremely important. Um, there is the interpretation over what happened and then there's what happened. Our experience in life is not based on facts, <laughs> even though fact is somewhat an interpretation. Our experience in life is based on our interpretation of what happened. And those two things are very, very different. So if you as a coach can help people separate the difference between what happened, like a stenographer in a court of law just taking down the situation, versus what you said about it, versus your interpretation about that, versus your opinion about that. So by reframing, you help people see things differently. How do you reframe? You could say things like, well, what would it look like? from 30,000 foot, if you were to look down on the circumstance, or if you were to put yourself in that other person's shoes, what would you say they would say? Those are the kinds of questions you can help people reframe. Or if success were guaranteed, 
how would you approach this circumstance differently? That's just another one of those reframing questions. So reframing is really a very, very useful skill. Uh, no matter what level you are in an organization and no matter how long you've been a coach is to reframe and help people see things differently. Next one is truthful feedback. Now you can imagine that you've been listening really well. You've been asking these really good questions. People have been coming up with some answers. You've helped them see things differently through your reframing. But at some point, maybe they haven't got the aha moment yet. Maybe they're still stuck. Maybe you're now in the position to share what you see. And that's where truthful feedback may be the right tool to use. And truthful feedback is simply a way of saying, you know, if I could just stop for a second and tell you if it's okay, what I see in your situation, would that be all right? And again, I'm sort of setting this up this way so that you make sure that they give you permission to do that. People are much more apt to accept feedback no matter what if they grant the permission of that feedback. So if I give you my truthful feedback, here's what it is. And you just tell me it's okay. And you might say, I think that um, you, you need to come up with any number of things. You know, um, the, the issue that I see right now is that um, you don't value yourself the way other people value you. That's a, that could be a truthful feedback. Um, another truthful feedback could be is, you know, you are, if I were to be honest with you, I think that um, you know what you should be doing, but you're too afraid to do it. I had one just recently when I was talking to a client, he was running through an issue uh, where the he and two people were reporting out on some sort of a project and uh, the other two people, unbeknownst to him, um, didn't complete their part of the project and he was caught uh, somewhat um, caught off guard. And so he got a little bit of uh, you know egg on his face. And so I asked him later, I said, can I give you some truthful feedback on this? He said, sure. And he said, well, this is what I see. I think you already knew that this was possible, that this could have happened. You had some sort of knowledge a couple months ago that these two people may not follow through. I think you knew that back then and you were driven by your desire to please and not to hold people accountable because it's uncomfortable. And you sort of uh, got what you knew could happen. And he went, yeah. Yeah, you're right. So I was lucky on that. It worked out. So um, truthful feedback is just your ability to stop and say, this is what I see in this situation. Make sure that you get permission in which to do it. The last one is the one around requesting. Um, sometimes people naturally know what to do and you just help them do it. Other times you might have to um, request them to do something because they still haven't quite figured out what to do. So a request is simply a way of saying, I would like for you to do something by X number of days from now. And you make it clear when it is, what the, uh, the time frame is, and you clarify that. And they can either accept it or they can deny it. And either one is fine. Once you make the request and they've accepted it or denied it, it's no longer yours. So it's like you've, you've painted a painting and you've sold it to um, an investor or buyer it's now theirs. And so um, this is where you need to let go at this point um, and let them follow through with the thing that you requested. So this is just a quick you know, overview of some of the basics around coaching that is um, something that we found to be very useful. 
and that has been uh, very helpful along the way. One of the other things I'll say is uh, when it comes to a coaching conversation, it's really easy to get into a situation where the person is talking and talking and talking and talking, and you're listening and listening and listening. I, when I say that, it's very common because people like to talk. But I think that it's important for the coach to establish early on that if that coachee is going to ramble, that they're going to call them out and say, can you get back to the point? You're covering so many different topics. You want to make sure that what you're dealing with is just one issue at a time. So early on in that conversation with the coachee, make sure that you clarify what are we talking about in this particular moment? What's the question? What's the problem we're trying to solve? What sometimes happens is that they present five or six or 10 different problems and you can't manage all of them. It becomes a very slippery slope. So you have to stop them and say, hold on a second. Let's go back to that first one. Let's just deal with that one first and then move on to the next one. So restate what your question was again. So you need to be able to, yes, be a good listener, but set some boundaries around people who are too long-winded, too uh, that, that talk too much. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. It just means that they need some guidance around finding a way to help them think and get them to what they need. The other nugget I would say is that most people, when they get into a conversation with their coach, don't know what they want to talk about. Or if they do, what they're dealing with is a surface and they haven't gotten to the source. And that's part of the fun and the value of a good coach is that they help you get to source. But most of the time, people are not coming to you with a really clear reason for why they need a coach. They need you to help them get there. So I hope this is useful. Again, I do believe that we are in a world right now where labor is going to be the biggest issue for a while. And that that means as managers, we're going to have to start doing different things to bring people along faster who may not necessarily have the leadership skills that we would like, that they may be quote unquote green, but we're going to hire them anyway and train them later. And coaching is an excellent way to get them fast paced into a more leadership mindset. And then those of you who are coaches, just sort of take a look at your own process and see if this matches with yours, if this was useful in terms of being able to sharpen the saw, so to speak. If any of you would like more information about MFI or our coaching individual uh, sessions and programs, or this one that I just described, the Coaching Skills for Leaders. We do have a website, as most people do, called www.mfileadership.com. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean, or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.